Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's your boy Johnny Bananas, and I'm going to be covering a brand new season of the Challenge USA on CBS that, of course, I will be completely dominating on my podcast, Death Taxes and Bananas, on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. Head over to that feed and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, also canceled after one season, yeah. it's Andy Greenwald! You had a different cadence that time. But I stuck with you, man. I never, I never, I always had your back. That's true. When the, uh, <laughs> when the internet turned against me, you were yeah. like, no, he's good, actually. Yeah, when everybody was just like, get this true detective hating dude out of my face. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's my guy. I appreciate that. Greenwald, great to see you. We were joined again by Kaya McMullen, who's back producing us. So I just feel like the vibes, they're all corrected, you yeah, know? Yeah, she's stateside again. Wonderful to see. You. How's your week been since I last saw you? It's great. Um, when does school start? Dude, it's back. I, I, you know, I was just saying to you, it's like now. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going on with me. Got to get this checked out, but I've dropped. I have like a, I, I buy these coffee makers that are like for single bachelors, even though I'm a married man. Um, but they're really easy to like make counter space. You can just pick it up and move it over. So it's like a okay. five cup coffee maker. Right. And they come in these cool colors. They're like 30 bucks. All right. I have now dropped two of them in the last month and broken them. Are you, you freezing up like Moscow Mitch? <laughs> I was wondering about this too. I have, I, it makes me feel empathy, you know? Uh, but I dropped mine today. Oh. Like Does it shatter? It what it was the cloth shatters, you know? The so you just shatter glass across. Yes. First thing in the morning, shatter glass at like 8 a.m. That's chill. Spent 15, 20 minutes sweeping it up. Mm-hmm. Then was like, I'm getting in my car. I'm going to go get myself a, a cup of Mocha Joe's and mm-hmm. uh, it's just gridlock traffic outside my house because every single child mm-hmm. is being dropped off by an individual mm-hmm. Audi e-tron. Yes. And they've just like turned my 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 street into Times Square. First of all, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thanks. For you and your <laughs> palsy. Like I... Just dropping yeah, stuff. Yeah, and my need to go to lock alone. Yeah. It's fine. Uh-huh. There's no... I have no concerns. Uh, broader concerns. My children aren't in school yet. Yeah. So it's been a lot of, a lot of dadding. I would say, and, it's, and look, I love it. Comes with the contract. I love yeah. it. I, I call myself doing something. I'd like to get your, and we'll talk about TV. Don't yeah, we worry. got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Um, I'd like to get your opinion about this. Is this, is, is what I'm about to tell you, like very, very dad in like a charming way or like a, okay, buddy, you're an onion headline kind uh-huh. of way. 
Which is to say, I played the new Olivia Rodrigo single for my daughters. What's that one called? It's called Bad Idea Right. Okay. It's very good. Yeah. I've heard some songs from this this new LP. It, our, our old buddy Karen Gans wrote a great profile yeah. in the New York Times. People should check it out. Very good song. Very funny. 100% about rebound sex with an ex. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think my six-year-old picked up on any of that. I heard her in the back seat when there's a line where Olivia is like, uh, you're the hottest guy I've ever seen. Yeah, she's like... She was like, he must have been sweaty. Yeah. Because it's 99 degrees here, and so she thought... So I appreciated the innocence. But anyway, I played that song, and they liked it. And by the way, this is another cool move. Uh, my older daughter has this thing that I really respect, because I think she knows in her bones who her, what her dad is, her dad's project. Uh-huh. So if I play a song, she sits in absolute stillness, no reaction, and makes me turn and say, ah, uh, so... In this case, I knew she was going to be like, I loved it. That's okay. So but, you were but, like, but, you were out scouting Rodrigo for your kids. Like you were like, I've, I've, I've ascertained. I'd heard big- this song and I was like, they'll dig this. Right. It has the right combination of uh, angst and Broadway. <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> you know, which is what they, what they want. But here's my point. Here's what I did. This is the thing I want your opinion on. Uh-huh. Then I was like, you guys like that? <laughs> you know what it makes your old man think of. And then I fired up. L7's pretend we're dead. Oh my God. Which dude. it sounds like. Yeah. So you're that guy. Now. I became that guy. And yeah. I was like, you guys like this? This you is You should pretty tweet cool. about it. You should be like, just jamming on some L7 with the kids this morning. Love being a hashtag dad. <laughs> dad strong. <laughs> hashtag L7 dad. <laughs> that I played yesterday, a little Elastica. Yeah, of course. Just trying to connect the dots. They don't care. Yeah. Do you think it, this is? This I think tr- it's just a little early for them to understand the alternative music canon and like the the trajectory of, you know, from the Velvet Underground and the Stooges to now. But then I'm like waiting to get on the 101, and I'm like, you know, funny story. There's a band called Wire, <laughs> and people in the '90s thought Elastica ripped up. I, but is this like, is this bad? Do I need to stop? I mean, not for me. I think it's really funny. <laughs> I think maybe for your relationship with your children. You it's might want to like get back to the Zelda takes. Just just pump the brakes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They mostly want to talk about Zelda. They they literally say to me, Can we talk about Zelda now? Like, can we just block out some yeah. time? Yeah. Do you have to like just ask questions or do you actually no. have opinions about Zelda? You you know how every so often on the podcast you'll be like, My wife and I have watched twenty two seasons of SVU. <laughs> yeah. Ask me anything. <laughs> and I'll be like, There's always new surprises. <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty deep in Tears of the Kingdom. I could I could do a podcast about that. Cool. Would like, would be the sound? Of I Chris wonder. His I mean, maybe like down? the last pod we do is in uh-huh. left channel. It's you talking mm-hmm. about Tears of the Kingdom, mm-hmm. and the right channel it's me talking about Lioness. You could actually take that pod off and just run your drug church interview again, <laughs> in the right channel. Yeah, and then it would just be like our true selves. Sure. Uh, Andy, I have a couple of things I want to talk to you about as news. We're going to talk a little bit about Reservation Dogs. I want to ask you, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the end of Justified City Primeval. Okay. So we have some shows mm-hmm. we're hitting. We might hit uh, How To with John Wilson again, because that certainly took a turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some news in the top. HBO mm-hmm. released a statement. Okay. Picked up by all the trades. Of course. Quote, statement, quote, The Idol was one of HBO's most provocative original programs and were pleased by the strong audience response. Mm. After much thought and consideration, HBO, as well as the creators and producers, have decided not to move forward with a second season. Mm. We're grateful to the creators, cast, 
and crew for their incredible work. Mm-hmm. Kaya, I think you might want to put on Danny Boy. I want to hold space for you to have a reaction here. I think we ended in the right place. I think we all had fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really enjoy mm-hmm. it being now part of my public persona that I enjoyed it. It re- you that you really <laughs> put that on Front Street. I just I was just being honest. Uh-huh. I enjoyed watching the Idol. I, yeah. I really liked it uh, until it was a little bit harder to like. Okay. I didn't necessarily see a a second season for this. Mm-hmm. For a moment, I wondered whether or not this could be an anthologized thing and they could have figured out like a different story to tell in the music business or in the world of this. Like another cult. Yeah, I mean like nothing ever really dies, right? Like like they could have figured out something else. Like they could have been like, "Oh, there's there's something here, but let's, you know, maybe like there's not a Jocelyn, it's not Jocelyn and and Tedros, it's something else. So like they could ask other platinum recording artists who have big houses to be like, could we film more (laughs) sex parties in this house? (laughs) No, my my new version of it would be very like Calvinist. I wouldn't want any sex. Oh. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I'd want to just think about the music mostly. Like 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 Playboy for the articles, right? Like the idol. The idol season two, you driving around in an electric car. (laughs) Be like, girls (laughs) causing traffic jams in residential neighborhoods. In my day. While you think about Elastica. Yeah. First of all, more people should think about Elastica. Uh I will die on that hill. Yeah, this is a tough one. Did you send me was there a headline somewhere where someone was like, Well, what will the cast of the idol do next. Uh, I did not send you that. That was, uh, I think, something that came from you. Right. I sent you that. From Meta. Just like, what will they do next? And I'm like, my God, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers for these people. Uh, I think everybody's going to be fine. Yeah. I think these kids are going to make it. Yeah. You know, I saw your guy, Moses Sumney, was recently uh, traveling abroad. He seems to be doing well. Uh Uh-huh. I think the weekend's career continues to to continue unabated successfully. Uh, Rachel said it. Is in a movie this weekend, Bottoms. Um, we do a lot of, in addition to Zelda and uh, lectures about alternative rock, we watch a lot of The Simpsons in my household. And so Hank Azaria, really a legend. Yeah. Even before his performance. Eli Roth uh, mm-hmm. directed some of the adaptation of Borderlands, the movie. Right, so he's fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Well, it's a weird one. I mean, as as... Happy as I am that there. Are won't you be really more surprised that the idol was canceled? No, right. No, it was. Does never it seem like maybe we are going through a period aside from the book clearing part that mm-hmm. was kind of happening during this this strike that the greatest canceled after three seasons, right. the idol is canceled after one season. We talked a little bit about what, how many people are really watching shows, you know, and yes. data transparency. I don't think this is the same thing. I think that the idol, at least in the beginning, was was fairly successful because it had generated so much buzz that people were checking it out. But do you think that we are looking at a couple of like, oh, can't believe they canceled that? Well, I I don't want to be hyperbolic because, you know, that's not my brand. I do think, broadly speaking, the idol was bad for the world. (laughs) But if you pull out to like a much, you know, 10,000 foot view, I do become more sympathetic to it because it is a insane swing. It was unique in many ways. And the fact that it was allowed to continue in its second iteration after basically shelving the first five hours that were shot, but also just the very specific to these creators' manner in which it was weird 
you know, I've said this before and it's, I, and I'm, I'm white knuckling through saying it. Like I, I would rather have artistic swings and misses mm-hmm. than the other half of this, con- of this conversation, which is, and I think is going to only increase that there is going to be industry contraction and there will be fewer shows and, you know, not to be unsympathetic about on the other side, like there are, there are too many shows. And right. there are a lot of shows that exist or get renewed, I think, because of good intentions or good creative relationships. But the argument about, you know, everyone hates this framing, but like, what's this for? Who's this for? What is the purpose of of making this? It gets a little muddier, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're too much in it to really be able to parse which each, what every cancellation yeah, or renewal means. Right. But let me, let me paint it with this wide brush. I was not surprised that the idol was not renewed, that I think that is unrelated to the strike. I also wasn't, as much as I admire everyone who was involved in it, I was not that surprised to see Amazon change their mind about more episodes of A League of Their Own. Mm -hmm. Which show did I like watching more? A League of Their Own. Unquestionably, I enjoyed that more. There was a lot to like in that show. There were great performances. Um, But the first season was good. When it was renewed, it was did feel like like kind of a weird courtesy renewal, right? It was like Amazon is giving the creators, Abby Jacobson and Will Graham, like an opportunity to wrap up the show with like four additional episodes or whatever. And then they very shabbily rescinded that green light. And I say shabbily because by all accounts, they were like, they told the creative team 20 minutes before they released it to the trades and blamed it on the strike, which I don't think is true. I just think rather it's uh, it's it's part of the larger correction and contraction we're going to be seeing from these companies as they reassess what they're doing and who they're doing it for. Um, they did the same thing with the peripheral, which did you watch any of that? No. And that's the Jonathan Nolan, Lisa Joy series, uh, twisty sci-fi mm-hmm. show um, with our old Amtrak buddy, right? Chloe, Chloe, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz, Moretz. yes. <laughs> once, once we rode a train with her, so clearly... To say, <laughs> Why are you talking like John Steinbeck? <laughs> um, we dug coal with Chloe Grace It's because I just listened to Mike Lombardi on with Bill, and oh, yeah. every player, Lombardi's like, I watched him lose function in his leg in front of me. <laughs> Hell of a player. It's a damn shame what they did to that dog. And then he's like, goes on about whatever the question is. I love it. Um, anyway, it's going to be a weird era. And I think that for as dissimilar as those shows are, mm-hmm. this is totally arbitrary to grab a league of their own and the idol. But I think they, they couldn't have less in common, but they are at the extremes of what I feel like we're going to be losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from this vantage point, I think they are both a loss in a way um, from a previous moment of the industry that is rapidly going away. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. This, and I want to, let's stop with the, I want to stop that conversation mm. there only because you did say something about like the who's it for and what is it doing. Mm-hmm. And I want to save that for something a little later in the in the well, podcast, if that's okay. Yeah. Before we get into Justified and before we get into Reservation Dogs, we got hit with a barrage of trailers. It's like festival week right now. Sean and Amanda from The Big Picture are both currently at festivals and they're they're are taking they? in some, some, some cinema. That's nice. And uh, we got hit with the... The killer trailer from David Fincher, um, and maybe the most important thing that's ever happened to me is the Ferrari trailer. <laughs> Finally returned to the big screen from my guy Michael Mann, who essentially has not made anything since Black Hat, uh, not made a feature since Black Hat. Is that true? Yeah, well, he worked on 
Tokyo Vice, and I think he's been trying to get a, a variety of things off the, the off heat, the tarmac the heat tube book, and the then potential book. movie. Yes, and he did a very uh, interesting piece in Variety, an interview with with Variety, where he talks about like basically being in a, a race against the clock and a race against the industry to f- get get all, all the things that are in his head on the screen before his time here is over because he's eighty. Where's you know? he going? No, I mean I think it's. Oh. I think we're actually seeing this with yeah. a with a a whole sort of band of of filmmakers like and, and politicians. <laughs> yes, I, I prefer the filmmakers, mm-hmm. but like Scorsese, uh, Paul Schrader, Clint Eastwood, you know, like Michael Mann, like mm-hmm. guys who are getting up there in age and are are are. Did you say Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, like you know, we have a Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese film. And a Michael Mann film coming out this year that might not ever happen again, mm-hmm. where the three of them are releasing a film in the same year. What did you think of the Ferrari trailer? So I just want to like, I need your help with something okay. because you know, I, I there were a couple of years where I wasn't really going to the cinema as much as I do now. That doesn't stop you from having very strong opinions about it. God bless. Yeah. yeah. Um, is this is this a prequel to Ford v Ferrari, or is this a sequel, or is this like a breakout? You know what I mean? In the same way, like Hobbs and Shaw. Was related to the Fast and I'm Furious. Glad you're taking it seriously. Like I'm glad I say this is the most important yeah. movie to come out. For me Am I wrong? <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see that movie. So that movie you didn't is about- see Ford versus Ferrari. No. Oh my god, you would love it. But that's a movie about people racing Ford cars and Ferrari cars. It's, about it's not about Ford the man building a car, a race car to, to race Le Mans to, to go against Ferrari, who is, which is like the dominant car of the racing world. But the man and does not appear in that film. The man Ferrari, who Adam Driver no, is he playing. He doesn't. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready to be serious now. Are you uh, ready? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's not much to talk about. There's like, it record. gets. Uh, it's a great trailer. Yep. It's a great trailer. It is. It's a great trailer also because it zags because most trailers tell you everything. And this trailer is just about speed, baby. It's just about a guy hitting the clutch yeah. and pressing down the gas pedal and crying and being married to Penelope Cruz and possibly Shailene Woodley at the same time. And also, if I may, and this is probably what drew me in the most, a man who clearly got a very severe haircut recently, which, you know, I felt empath- I felt empathy to. Uh-huh. I felt really seen by The him. cult around your hair is pretty interesting. Well, look, <laughs> I, I, I can't help the charisma that I put into <laughs> the world. I just, I just reap the benefits. Um, so... Also really great to see Driver. You know, yeah. we haven't maybe, because he was in that movie 65. Um it's great to see him in like a serious film with like a great filmmaker, you know? I still find, I mean, his ascent to be the actor of this generation, I'm super into it. Mm-hmm. It still strikes, I'm still surprised by it. By far my favorite like blog post mm-hmm. of the last 12 years mm-hmm. is just like Adam Driver being like, I'm good when they, when they offered him Fantastic Four. And he's just like, Adam Driver has read this script. I didn't see that. And is like, no. <laughs> There was a lot of push towards that. There was a lot of yeah. Like, there's a lot of fantasy. Reed Richards casting. He yeah. said, "I'm good." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who was the oh, dude in in uh, Wandavision who I was always like, Will Mephisto? Mephisto? It you you were very devoted to that pronunciation. <laughs> that was sort of a Ferrari esque, where the I becomes an E. Yeah, I've always said it as Mephisto. Mephisto, and but I then, was always like, "Do you think Mephisto?" Or no, was it him? That I was always like excited about. Yeah, you wanted you wanted the person in charge of this to be a uh, anthropomorphic devil. Oh, and then I also wanted Reed Richards to be like the guy waiting outside of the tent. There right? has never been a moment 
that we've talked about more on this podcast than the random ass beat in 102 WandaVision. Yeah. When when Randall Park is like, let's go see the guy. Yeah. And, and I was like, like, do you think that's Reed Richards? You're like, I bet Krasinski did a day. I bet he fucking did a day. You were so... Would is that a sliding doors moment? Yeah, for this I wonder podcast? if that's like if that was my loss of innocence. You would be so in at age forty three, you know, or whatever it was. You would have been so in on the MCU if it had just given you that taste. Yeah, that one taste. Um, great trailer, interesting accent. Um, oh, come on, just let's let's let people fucking rock, man. We're I'm not too, mad at it. Way too controlling about this. Driver in Italy though, didn't he do this in no, Gucci? No, it's just too? like because like I was thinking about this a lot with. Nicole Kidman in Lioness because she's her accent is quite strange. Right. It's like definitely Nicole Kidman who I think can do a pretty flawless American accent at this point. Yes. Talking like an Australian who moved to Chicago 25 <laughs> years ago and I love it. And I think we should just let people cook now. I'm like I'm, I agree. I'm not going to be like I think when it comes to Boston it's like Look, man, either go for it and do it and get it right, right, or just be like a guy. There are so many people in Boston who don't do Boston accents. I feel the same way about Philly. Like, exactly, it's the people who are like, "Yeah, I'm also walking here." Yeah, I'm like that's not that's not it. Yeah, either be Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown, right, or, or just or just, Peters, or just be there. Yeah, listen to us. We're from there. Yeah, you know, we root for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. We don't say Eagles. We say Mephisto. Yes. I was like, hand me, hand me a bottle of water. A bottle? Yes. You do. It's fine. Um, I think the trailer looks great. Uh-huh. I, you know, my my whole thing this year is movies are good. I'm interested in movies. And I'm excited. This also seems to be, um, I mean, I'm not the guy to ask this or answer this question. Thank God we're potting about but, it. But no, but like, how, maybe we'll ask Sean, or maybe you know, like, how did he shoot this? Because How did one, Michael Mann shoot well, this? Well, because one of the last Michael Mann movies, remember Public Enemies? I do. That was the one before Black Hat? That was. And that was, famously, he's like, I'm doing digital. this all digital. I don't. And it looked a little weird. It didn't look, well, f- for me, mm. the digital is the juice. You know, <laughs> like, oh. I, I kind of love yeah. where he's taken the medium with, you know, in, in Black Hat, perhaps a, a film I'll be talking about at length soon. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was like running around with like lipstick cameras, like little, li- like essentially GoPros and stuff in, That's cool. in Hong Kong. You know, so it's like he is, if you're going to go digital, it's the same thing with Kate Winslet and the accent. It's like, mm-hmm. if you're going to go digi, go all the way. You know? my, my thing is I go around and I turn motion smoothing on whenever yeah. I'm near a television. Yeah. So Dude, what is it? What does Ahsoka look like with motion smoothing on? It's just it's it's actually you just see the green screen. You don't see anybody <laughs> There's no on green it. screen. You, it's the volume, baby. There is no green. You just see the volume. Okay. You just see a bunch of guys standing around Manhattan Beach being like, "When's lunch?" Um, that, that, that show has big "When's lunch" energy. We're gonna address Ahsoka okay. probably at some later. So date. okay, but why don't you? So other than the Michael Mann of it, because I you keep turning to me like I'm gonna I'm gonna drop gems about Ferrari. I'm not. I'm excited to see it. Why, what makes this, for you, cinemaphile? It's got all of the sort of hallmarks of a man thing. A man obsessed with greatness. A man alienated from his family. This is all man two ends. Man's interests in men. man with one end mm. against, like, you know, some sort of, like, massive obstacle, which is not, like, obviously... I'm married to too many beautiful women. <sighs> oi! Oh! <laughs> I said oi. I forgot he wasn't Jewish. <laughs> 
I can tell when you don't want to talk about something. I do. I don't have anything to contribute. I want to see this movie. Yeah. I watched the trailer. I want to see it too. I mean, we we're just saying this trailer is awesome. I can't wait for it. I I actually think in the long tail of history, yeah. Michael Mann just doesn't miss. This is also a soft. What's your favorite Michael Mann? This movie? is a backdoor pilot from from uh, for um our new podcast called Watchables, where you're like, you want to watch this? I'm like, I would watch that. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's a back, It's also a backdoor from my podcast. It's Raining Man with two M, two ends. <laughs> that's good. What's my, well, that's a tough one because, I mean, Heat's the best one. Uh-huh. But I love Collateral so much. Yeah. And Thief is really good too. Those are three movies. Those are three great movies. Those are three unimpeachable This is how, what I'm movies. saying. He doesn't, re- I, I think Public Enemies is a miss. Yeah. I think most of the horse community would call luck a miss. <laughs> didn't we just do, when we were in Philadelphia, didn't we do a podcast about how you should just be potting to a horse? <laughs> yeah, is that, know. is that, first of all, it's a television show. So I, I thought we were talking about his movies, yeah. but like, do you check in with the horse community often? I mean, I, whenever a Taylor Sheridan show is on, yeah. Just the ladies of Rohan Reddit group. <laughs> hey, just come like, on now. Hey. Did you say that there was like a Rokirum like animated show that they're like a what? I'm sorry, Rogue Hero. You know, I I thought you were saying Rogue Hero, but you had the same stroke that caused you to drop the coffee pot live on my. You know what? I want to change the subject. I just I feel like <laughs> okay. What? But what's your left field, Michael? May? Is there like one that you're going to make a case like Black Hat? Uh, Black Hat is actually incredibly rewatchable. Mm-hmm. It's just relatively incoherent in its current form. Mm-hmm. And keep an eye out for that director's cut coming mm-hmm. on the Blu-ray because they aired it once on FX. Really? Uh, during like a man retrospective some, something. And there's a director's cut where he kind of fixes the plot a bit. But, I never saw it. That's Hemsworth, right? Yeah. Matt, Black Hat is essentially like an unfinished movie in some ways. Um, I, but I have a lot of time for Hemsworth. Did you see his quotes about would he make Thor 5? Mm-hmm. And they asked him about like Thor 4 and he was like perhaps we had a bit too much fun with that one yeah he knows yeah he gets it I don't know if it was the fun that was the problem it's they were having fun yeah we weren't okay Um, and then what's our other trailer well the killer you know Dave this this is great yeah (laughs) this looked so good David Fincher with Michael Fassbender starring as a hitman having a crisis of conscience or maybe losing his his grip co-starring Arliss Howard you're going in order of Billing too. This is not like some Charles Parnell, my guy, Briarpatch King, and Tilda Swinton. I, there are those are Rushmore performers for me. If you could have thirty actors on Rushmore, that's yeah. a bad example, but I love them. Yeah, uh, this looks like. I think. I think. I've seen people compare it to Dragon Tattoo. I've seen people compare it to the kind of uh, early Fight Club, Panic Room kind of. Verve, he, I mean, he's always directs with Verve. This looks like so awesome. Uh, it is also on Netflix, so I guess it's only going to be in theaters briefly. I will go see that in the I theater. I will watch it. I, I, no. David Fincher can make any movie he wants with anyone he wants at any time. And that's I, big of you. I love, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> what I mean is, I love when filmmakers at his level are like, I decide what actors I want. Right. I'm not like market testing this. I'm not collaborating with a studio on finding a vehicle for whomever. Our guy Fastbender's been a little quiet. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. He's also a guy seduced by the great roaring engines of fine sports cars. In his real life. Yeah. But right. I think that that is par- partially why he has not been working that much. Also, he's married to Alicia Vikander, and I think they had a kid. I mean, 
seems like he's making great choices yeah. up to and including this movie. Yeah. But like that, but that Fincher's vision for the movies that he makes are so specific because you can see this sort of compromise all the time, and I understand why it exists. But certain directors who are like, I know exactly how I want to shoot this. I know exactly the cinematographer I want to use. The needle drop has to be this song. It has to be just so. But I understand that in order to make a movie in this, the year of our Lord, Ryan Reynolds will be the lead of it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm saying Ryan Reynolds intentionally because he's a big star. And last week or on Monday, I was like, let's, I was very, I was very pro his business decisions. So sure. I'm not trying to drag him. Right. But I'm saying is that's often a uh, round peg into a square hole. Fincher is so exacting. He knows exactly who he wants in every role and you have to trust that they're the right people for it. I just thought that this whole trailer, everything about it just looked immaculate. Very cool. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, let's move on to some TV stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, we talked a little bit about Justified after the first two episodes. We did. And I think that I have uh, had like a little bit of a running commentary on City Primeval throughout, but we have not like done episode by episode breakdowns. Maybe come as a bit of a shock because I think that something where it's like Justified is coming back, yeah. adapting a Detroit Elmore Leonard novel, that would have been like grist for the mill for us. But I think because of the way this story was told, and maybe it's just like a kind of wake up call about Elmore Leonard is like Elmore Leonard is not a like, what do you think happens next kind of guy? Mm -hmm. It's like a very much 
atmospheric hangout kind of experience. I mean, I think that he has some novels that are obviously like twisty and turny, but to me, they're mostly but, like... Also, I don't put them down. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I read them and I'm having the time of my life over the course of two and a half days and then... Yeah, there's nothing like when you pick up an Elmore Leonard novel you've read three times and realize you can't totally remember what happens in it. So you're no like, idea. good, I can, I can mm-hmm. watch this, read this again. So anyway, I would say that uh, Justified... I'll, I'll say this about the, the finale. Mm-hmm. A relatively satisfying ending to a relatively satisfying show that maybe lacked a bit of crackle. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's intentional because the main character is now in his late middle age, let's just say, or middle age, and uh, is is sort of going through a bit of like an adjustment period in his life. He's in a new town in Detroit. I've read some interesting commentary, like Vulture's done some really good stuff about, Roxana did stuff about like whether or not like Raylan works in Detroit, yeah, you know, and whether or not Raylan works outside of Boyd Crowder and Harlan mm-hmm. in Kentucky. And what do you know? Oh, and I should say, we're going to spoil the end of Justified City Primeval now. So if you haven't watched it and you're catching up, skip this. What do you know? <laughs> Boyd Crowder shows up at the end of City Primeval. Not as a, oh, Boyd Crowder is also in Michigan federal mm-hmm. jail or there's just like a cameo or something like that. It is essentially like a backdoor pilot. Yep. It is at the end of sort of City Primeval, Raylan is back in Florida, has quit the Marshal Service, has made up with his daughter, is sitting on a boat in the harbor in Miami or somewhere or Tampa and is like chilling. He's really, really just got it all together and he gets an alert on his phone that there has been a, a escape from federal penitentiary and we get a whole side scene of Boyd Crowder in jail, in federal jail. He is escorted out of jail by one of the, one of the sort of correctional f- facility officers is played by uh, Luis Guzman, mm-hmm. veteran of other, of other Elmer Leonard adaptations. And a woman, and he breaks out of prison. And like is driving to Mexico. So it's like, you guys are making a, a Boyd and Raylan show, right? I think. And it's a really, really, really interesting twist on, first of all, like it essentially erases the place that Raylan has gotten to in his life. Yes. And second of all is like, we know what works. And well, that's my question. It's Raylan and it's Raylan and Boyd. Is it kind of a, did this strike you as a backdoor pilot of being like, you like this? Would you like more? Mm-hmm. Let's find out. Or did you feel like it was an almost in-game hedge bet? Basically being like, thank you for letting us try this. We flexed some different muscles. We tried to update some stuff and intentionally took a different tone. But don't worry. We know, we also know what works best. So did, did you get that vibe and did you have an opinion One of the things that, that I thought was tough about City Primeval, which I also liked a lot of. I mm-hmm. liked Marin Ireland in it. I liked Norbert Leo Butts in it. I liked Those guys Andrew, were great. Yeah, I liked, I, I liked actually Bondi Curtis Hall all was great. of the performances. I felt like it was a little bit handcuffed to the book at some times. And I feel like there's parts of Elmore Leonard that mm-hmm. you're just like, what's cool about this is the time and place it's set and how it feels like what Detroit at this period must have felt like. And there was something almost like it's set in the present day, but doesn't feel like it. And it's set in Detroit, but doesn't really feel like it. And there was something kind of like off about that. And there's even like the references or the the cliches that people say or the tropes that people do all feel like 
just a little bit out of time. I completely agreed with that. That was also a vibe that I got too, because Detroit is such a wonderfully specific place. And I feel like Elmore Leonard or were he still with us or another Detroit crime writer, not necessarily of Elmore Leonard's stature or fame, but could maybe have updated it and have connected, you know, been like Doc Brown and Back to the Future and grabbed the cable of what was incredible uh-huh. about Detroit in 1978 and whatever is still true about those same things today and connected them and made them feel lived in. But I, I too was stuck in a, a kind of uncanny valley between like the Detroit that I love in his books the Detroit that I'm interested in in reality and the sort of middle place that the show put us into. Here's a good example. They're one of the, it's not even a MacGuffin, but it's like one of the sort of totems of the show is this little black book that the judge played by Keith David in the beginning of the series yes. has that is essentially a unencrypted bribe guide of yep. all city officials that have mm-hmm. been taking payoffs, got given him payoffs, presumably whatever. And it's supposed to be this judge's collateral that he holds over all these people so that he can essentially get away with being a piece of Untouchable. Jet. Yeah, but everybody has to go along with it because he has all the, the dirt. And he's got this mythical little black book. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit difficult in 2023 for that not to be subpoenaed text messages. Or that that was just... That's a very 1979-1984 way of having bribes yes. recorded. And... I think that that was an that that's indicative of like the kind of like that needed a little bit of updating for mm-hmm. 2023. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't all have to be get me CCTV footage and then run his face against facial recognition software. Like, let's hope. Let's you know, like Lioness does that a lot. But I will say this for Lioness: it feels like a, technologically and referentially, for the most part relatively recent. You know what I mean? Well, well, there's a moment. It can be done. There's a moment in the killer. Uh, the trailer that we're just talking about, the Fincher trailer, where you're watching it, He's and got you're an like, Apple this, Watch on. "This could be any time." Yeah. But the but the but the juxtaposition of a guy who appears to be anachronistic, about to assassinate someone. We've seen this in movies for decades. But his Apple Watch is noticing his heart rate. Great shot. Yeah. Great idea. You can you can integrate it when you have a full vision. But I but often I think you're right. You can feel the things that were dragged across the years. Um, because you like them more, or because you you make a decision not about what's best for the story, about what would be least bad. And I think to the your point, um, just having it be the book mm-hmm. is less bad than having it be you know an encrypted thumb drive, because that wouldn't feel like justified, and it wouldn't feel like Elmore Leonard. Yeah. So I I think it was like I was a uh, I was I was a fan, if not like a super enthusiastic fan of the miniseries. I would be broadly supportive of them trying to find other Elmore Leonard novels to work Raylan into mm-hmm. or adapt other Raylan featured because he's in Pronto, right? Pronto and Riding the Rap. Right. And Riding the Rap. Yeah, I think that you could figure something out with Pronto. I mean, again, though, it's like that's like World War II paintings being hidden by somebody, right? Like, also, Raylan is not the main character. The right. main character is a, um, a, book, a bookie. Right, you know, who when I read those books, I was like, "This is a great part for my right. guy Gene Hackman." Right, this is like if you wanted to adapt the Sting, mm-hmm. that would be hard because the internet exists. You know, I was just thinking, <laughs> I did, did we talk about? I just watched that again on the plane. Yeah, perfect movie, all about people being like, "I'm in this town now, and you've never heard of me." Yes, and also like the Western Union is going to release the names of the horse race. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was really. Uh, I think that it's it's been. D- a divisive, but like 
broadly liked, if not loved, mm-hmm. adaptation. And your question is really good. Was it a hedge? Was it a a carrot? Like to to like the justified diehards. You know, other people come back from Justified briefly. Raylan's ex-wife, uh, Winona, is in, is in the show played by Natalie Z. But, like, I wonder whether or not, like, this is, like, we're already rolling on, like, Raylan chasing down Boyd in Mexico. But here's another question. Raylan chasing down Boyd in Mexico would be a Justified project. It would not necessarily be— It could be, be an Eastbound and Down project. He could run into <sighs> Kenny Powers while, like, if they timed it right. God. And what was Sudeikis' character's name who dies <laughs> in the— Yeah. Um, now you're just making me like it more Um, what I mean is it would be a Justified project less an Elmore Leonard adaptation because where Justified ended up I think that would be right I think one of the secrets of Justified um, that maybe we don't want to admit even though we like the show um, is that it was increasingly less an Elmore Leonard adaptation as it was an Elmore Leonard suggestion Mm -hmm. Um, when Elmore Leonard wrote about Raylan he was was I guess he wrote some short stories and then a novel later um, after the show had premiered, he'd been inspired by it essentially. Yeah, um, but but the character in the books is a a supporting character in Florida and at, fish out of water in Florida. Mm-hmm. Him chasing down Boyd would be a creation of the creative team that has steered Justified and now City Primeval, right? I I, I assume. Yeah, because there's no text. That might be a good thing. It 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 definitely changes our vi- which is weird to run against what we want since I feel like most shows service us. But we were like, oh, this is perfect because this can be Prime Suspect or Luther or the British yes. model. I was like, like, they could do five episodes of of Raylan every three years and mess around with a different but, Leonard adaptation. But and now it seems like they are like once more under the breach with the two most beloved characters from this show. But they could also be like taking the parts of our advice. Or, let's be honest, they're not listening to us at all. But I'm saying like of our advice that works for them, which is, this can be Timothy Oliphant's prime suspect or his Luther. Mm-hmm. One of them happened to be an Elmore Leonard, but the rest is just going to be justified. Right. But we will do it in this model where we will do eight episodes every two or three years. So this kind of leads right into Reservation Dogs mm-hmm. because I think that you and I, when we talk, we can get a little Goldilocks with it where we're like, it's too soft, mm. too hard. Like, I want my shows to be routinely entertaining, but really push the boundaries of what TV can be, you know? And then I think sometimes when a show will announce its intention, so like, say, Twin Peaks The Return. Mm-hmm. Fucking anything could have happened with that show and you would have been like, I'm locked in. I'm going with David Lynch wherever he wants to take me. And he literally took you everywhere. Yes. But, you know, when you get something like, say, City Primeval, and to some extent Reservation Dogs, although I think in the grand scheme of things that I am... I, I'm pretty into like what Sterling Harjo and his team are trying to do with this season. And it is remarkable that they are doing it. You know, it is a r- real and really like inventive and brave thing to do to have this beloved group of characters and try to tell a different story that's overlaid on top of their story. Yes. To make their story feel even grander to me, you know, and what I'm referring to is. Over the first two episodes of this third season of Reservation Dogs, we get introduced to this character played by Graham Greene named Maximus, who's this sort of outcast living mm-hmm. outside of society. Uh, you're like, oh, that's an interesting that's an interesting little wrinkle to this show, and it's an interesting way to bring Bear back to the community, but cool. And as this season has gone along, it seems increasingly clear that it's kind of about this guy, Maximus, and that Maximus's treatment by his community and his relationship to society and his relationship to himself and 
all these different things is kind of the story that they're telling. Now, this may turn out to be 40% of the season. But right now, it feels like it's 70% of the season. He's gotten his own flashback episode. He's been in the first two episodes, and he's largely talked about for the last 15 minutes of yep. the most recent episode, Frankfurter Sandwich. What do you think of this? I think it's really odd. I'm not against it. I'm looking forward to the end of the season. Um, I, I appreciate the Twin Peaks uh, um, comparison, both because it drew me in mm-hmm. as your first listener mm-hmm. before this goes out into the world, but also because Sterling Harjo, as a creator and filmmaker, has earned our trust for where he's driving this particular car. So I'm intrigued. And it did make me think of other shows. So basically, like the last few years of television, the way we've talked about it, have been primarily um, the beginning of the show asks a question, and then the series is a journey, sometimes a digressive journey, to answer that question. But you go into it knowing there will be an end that will either satisfy or not satisfy. And that's true of Succession. Uh, that's true, and it's true of Reservation Dogs. And it was about, you know, it was about these four kids dealing with the trauma of the death of their of their friend Daniel mm-hmm. and their desire to leave this place and go to California. Yeah. As we've discussed over the last few weeks, that all happened. That was a two-season story. Mm-hmm. And then it was done. And when I I had a, you know, a, a little bit of a I felt out of rhythm with the show when it returned with the season premiere and got on the mic with you and I was like, did they now do I understand why they're ending the show this season? Because they told the story. And now they're sort of kind of just not twiddling their thumbs, but just kind of cleaning out their notebooks in the end game. And this is all going to be resolution. That's not exactly what it is. I think the broad strokes of the series are not only present, they're being reinforced by the season, which is something that I said the other day, which is it's not actually about the young, the younger generation leaving. It's about generations yeah. and generations talking yes. to each other and supporting each other and being reborn as each other and playing roles for each other and that being how a society sustains itself. That is powerful stuff. That is heavy stuff. And often, even in the course of the season, which has been up and down, in my opinion, it has been beautiful stuff. Yeah, and also when those kinds of stories get told, you think of them as uh, very heavy dramas, mm-hmm. usually yes. 60-minute, yes. you know, like if not miniseries. Is like when you're talking, I'm thinking of like, the thorn burns yeah, or something. But with anguish. Yeah. And this is, tw- well, I think what this last episode is 23 minutes long and has fart jokes and like deflates all the moments of sentimentality. Yes. Until it, it, you get the happy, bittersweet, but funny moment at the very end of the episode where everybody's drinking big gulps out in a field. And let know? me let me put a pin in where I was going with that first thought just to say, if this season and this story, not this season, if this show does nothing else with its storytelling God, I'm so grateful for it because I don't know if you did you see the um New York magazine had a cover story on how trauma became our go-to story. I saw that for everything. And yeah, and, and we've talked about this actually. We've been in the field with this, talking about this show to show. I mean, there are characters just on a whiteboard on the series, they would have plenty of reason to play that card. This show, in a different with different creators and a different point of view, could be absolute tragedy mm-hmm. in terms of what a lot of these people have gone through and these characters, even these kids. I love so much and I'm so grateful to Reservation Dogs and Sterling Harjo because these are characters who, have, who are legitimately traumatized but also have resources of humor in their lives and they have resilience and they have a different relationship with their own past 
than what we have been given. It doesn't diminish the emotional intensity of what they've gone through. Each generation now I'm talking about, as the show is illustrated, it's just a different way into it. And I'm finding that really compelling. And I think it's a good antidote to a lot of the types of storytelling we've been enduring over the last few years on TV. All of this said, the the sort of side-dooring of Maximus as the hero and as the story of the season is, I bump on it a little bit. A little bit. I bumped him a little bit. Yeah. In, in the sense that it's like a little bit like poochie, like in The Simpsons, no, like I, you were here I, the whole time. I, I know what or, you mean. Or, or the way, or even the way, like there was a moment in this episode that we're talking about last night. And look, um, Zon McLaren is so elite on this show. He's always a good actor. And it's so awesome to see him be so funny and so goofy. Um, Wes Studi as Bucky, yeah. just consistently again, just doing stuff we've never seen this guy do. And we've been watching him be in movies, Michael Mann movie, Michael Mann movie for years, unless he was in a second one. That I'm that not was in Heat. Yes, two movies, yeah. right. Thank you, I knew it. Um, it's incredible. Uh, he also played Mike Wallace in, in The Insider. You know, <laughs> what they do with makeup in that movie, it's amazing. Um, this is wonderful stuff. When at the end of this moving episode where these older guys take out cheese and they're like, we're going to teach you how to fish, but it's going to be funny and it's going to be digressive or whatever. And we're going to learn as much from you as you learn from us. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in for it. And I'm all in for the generations looking after each other. I love the casual way everyone is everyone's uncle. Everyone is related and everyone's looking out for each other. This isn't necessarily the relationship between these people we'd seen in previous weeks, but why not? Mm -hmm. Because I believe it. That's actually how it works in this community. All of that said, when when Bucky is like, you know, we also had a friend. His name was Maximus. You remind us of him. It felt a little bit, a, a little bit like, you know, Grand Admiral Thrawn was pretty scary too. No, it didn't. Like a little bit. No, it didn't. Now, I, that's not fair. That's a big, big... It did. I know what you mean. In the sense that I was like... I, I just... It, but don't it, you I think just, this season has it. been about how people become myth and how people become like... um ghost stories or uh, legends or, you know, warnings or even things that you... Like Ezra? Yeah, but like, like you know... <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> like the dear lady. Yes. Maximus. Yes. Bigfoot. Like these ideas that the like foot. you're just like, oh, like the, the people... You look at your own life and you're like, what what does my life amount to? Who am I? Does anybody yeah. care about me? Like what what is the connection I have to the larger world? And the show this year is sort of saying like these kids who feel like they're at this precipice of adulthood and don't know who they are or where they should go or what they should do and what to do with these feelings. And these guys are, yes, maybe somewhat on the nose saying like you're connected to mm -hmm. larger stories and people who came before you went through some of the stuff that you went through and maybe we didn't deal with it that mm -hmm. way. Was it like... Did like like did it feel like as not as like necessarily like as an organic moment mm. as some previous episodes have? I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, this is also a show that like Jesus walks around the L.A. with the sec in the finale of the second season. I think you're making I think you're making a good point, and um, it's just a, I, th I think I'm I'm speaking to two things. I think it's a sign of a healthy product and um, an exercise and piece of art, frankly that. When you talk about it in the grand strokes and the thematic strokes and the emotional strokes, it all holds together. Yeah. It works. And it's very moving. 
to consider what the show is 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 saying that the show is able to take its focus off of because one of the things we we'd say in the first season was oh um you know there'd be the Willie Jack episode yep or the Bear episode and you'd miss the other ones but you'd realize that the show was telling you something about everyone even when everyone was not on screen so that's taking this season is taking that to an even greater degree where the main characters other than the episode in the IHS two weeks ago haven't really shared it hasn't really been about their adventuring it's been about the larger scope of the community and then but when you see the echoes you understand and one of the things that I I wonder if this is heading to and I think this is quite graceful if it is is the show isn't presuming to tell us what's going to happen to um our main four to to Alora Dannon and Bear and everyone because that's unwritten it's just showing us echoes yeah. and patterns yeah. and letting them make their own choices and mistakes, but suggesting that there are things that connect everyone. All of that, super into it, love talking about it. Um, but but yeah. just on a week-to-week TV I, viewer I totally fan, get it. there are some things that feel less organic to me this season because when the show is at its absolute apex, and I have no doubt it will return to that, it manages the poetry and prose better than anything else. Yeah. It does both at the same time where it makes these grand um, societal cultural statements and also makes you just love the character and feel like this is a real lived-in moment regardless of if the person on screen has hooves or not. And this season, you just, I just I felt the gear turning more. And so when Wesudi's like, we had a friend named Maximus, my first thought was, you, the actor, was just told about, you were just told about this. Mm. We only saw your flashback version with this person. That's a. That's not accurate. I was not on set. I feel like the way that he builds this community of performers, they know what's going sure. on and they sell the moments. That was just me bumping in a way. I'm just here to report me. I got you. I'm man. here to tell my truth as um, I as I struggle with the ups and downs of a show that is generally one of the best on television. Uh, speaking of truth, mm. do you want oh, to hit on? Boy, you're good at this. How to with John Wilson briefly? Did you go to school for podcasting? No, it just comes to me naturally. It's really wild. Yeah. Really gift. Yeah. I went to school for creative writing. You still have time. We'd established that. Double's <laughs> <laughs> coming. You said that last week. What did you think of this very, very, very uh was it surprising? Was this episode of John yes. Wilson surprising to you? It was. So we're gonna talk about this is the penultimate. This was the penultimate episode. Of the series. Um of, of a series that we have only recently adopted as a as a watchdog. Well, point. I didn't know we were I don't think we were watching it concurrently. Uh-huh. I think that we talked about it when it started. We did, and then I think I like kind of like was in and out, but never like sun. It's time to watch John Wilson mm-hmm. alarm clock, and now I guess I have to. Well, this is also an example of um, not you know it's not exactly it's not at all like Reservation Dogs, but when a creator is just like, okay, I want to use this for something else. I have this platform. I have this moment. I have this budget. I'm going to grab the reins and steer in a different direction, and one that might surprise you. Um, because our understanding, it's funny how like parochial we, I can say I, but I imagine I'm not the only one, uh, viewers can be about shows. Mm-hmm. That you watch a season or two of How To with John Wilson, which is totally unique in so many ways, but the brain just wants to relax things and put them into categories. And the category the show went into for me was absolutely idiosyncratic, lovely, weird thing that could go on for three or 23 seasons. Mm-hmm. Because this guy's a just kind of a, a weirdo who loves film and stuff and there'll always be digressions for him. 
at no point was I like, this is an auteurish project about a guy who has been doing this sort of thing in the, not in the shadows, but not on HBO. And then his relationship with his own, what, instrument? Yeah. Canvas is going to change. And the final season is going to be about his, like, body rejecting the organ almost, you know? In a way that took a, we can talk about it, but like took a really surprising turn. In well, and also it, it kind of, it, I like that it's three seasons because it's their three steps of the magic trick. And now here's the reveal. Oh, that's And good. you watch this last episode, this most recent episode, um, How to Watch Birds. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of a uh, dog stuck out on a, a ledge of a, like a mm-hmm. third floor of a New York City apartment building. And you can hear all these people saying like, Oh my God, I hope the dog gets back. And it gets back inside of a window. I think a fire fire rescue person does that. But while I was watching, I was like, what are the chances that he's there for this? You know? Yes. I was like, that's pretty crazy. He gets some really amazing stuff. Now, I remember when I had a dog. Mm-hmm. And... This is years ago. This is a long time ago. Uh, you're just like, oh my God, there's so much food on the ground. Because the dog tries to eat all of it. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, when you're walking around New York City, you don't really think about it. But like... There was a ton of food on the ground right. in New York City and other stuff. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, well, maybe it's just like this guy is showing us that if you open your eyes to different things, um, you like like Googling Ron Howard's net worth, mm-hmm. you'll find something out. And like if you open your eyes to like what's above you or what's below you or whatever, mm-hmm. like different things happen. And then as this episode goes along, John Wilson sort of starts to say, sometimes like these things that seem like miracles of slices of life are actually things that I have orchestrated well, to some extent. It's twofold. I mean, there is the fact that he just films a lot of stuff yes. and then he and his creative team shape it. They yeah. go through the archives of what he's filmed and then they tailor the his monologue, which It's not know, like he's like I'd it. like to do a, an episode about looking up in the sky the, and then I that day I got a dog on a ledge. No, it's like he got a dog on a ledge and then fit it into this episode. Yes, there's there's writing here. There always is. And like just like there are, you know, there's a documentaries or even or unscripted reality TV mm-hmm. to varying degrees are written. Like we we know that. This episode reached a point where he wanted he just kind of like he did about his own sort of sexual maturation two episodes ago. He just confesses something. In this episode, though, it's about confessing that there was one holy doctor yeah, shot. because he needed to use a soundstage for one day. Well, it was a combination. He wanted to use, he wished he had gotten something that he had seen online. A, a toilet exploding with sewage. Which is also perfect for the show that this is yes. the thing that he he built his house of cards on. And, but then to get a tax credit from New York, he needed a one soundstage day. So they built uh, a bathroom and then exploded yes. it with fake um, human waste. Yeah. Um, but this then sort of, pushes him into an edge of like conspiracy theorists about the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And he ends up driving around rural, I think Pennsylvania. With a guy named Bruce Beveridge. Incredible name. Yeah. Who is a uh, a leading voice in Titanic skepticism. Uh-huh. That it wasn't the Titanic that sank. It was its sister vessel, the Apollo. Or Olympia or something Olympia? Like that. Uh, the Olympia, yes. And then he wants to confess his own uh, lie to him about the shot. And it's, Really wild, intense scene. Oh, and he's also saying he's getting these emails saying to be in a hotel room at yeah. a certain time to learn the whole story. And he's parked in front of like a shaky O'Flanagan's by a Best Western. And he confesses it to the guy who gets a very hostile phone call from his mother. 
And then when you, when he says, like, do you ever feel like you have to tell the truth about things? The guy, Bruce Beveridge, like, you can't script this part. Like, he reddens in a very odd way and is like, I used to be a police officer. And let me tell you, there are times when faking the evidence is better for everyone. Yeah. And then John Wilson goes to the hotel. There's no one in the room. And when he comes back out, and, and this is shot like a thriller. Blair, Blair Witch, yes. kind of. And like, and and I, I will mention that in a Daily Beast interview, John Wilson talks about collaborating with Steven Soderbergh on, on this part. Does he? Yes. The Hidden Hand of Steve? Yeah. It's great. Did you talk to Soderbergh about that? I did not. I did not know that this was wow. coming. A, yeah. A rare miss yeah. from you. <laughs> um, Couldn't be you. The, the car with Bruce Beveridge and it explodes. Yeah, in, in the, the parking, parking lot. lot of the Best Western. And suddenly you are forced to question, like, what are you even watching? What have you been watching? And who is in charge mm-hmm. of it? Um, it's It was a pretty thrilling TV moment. Yes. I thought. Yeah. And then at the end, we find that Bruce is still with us. And smirking, kind of, because he so, was in on it. This I don't know whether or not the next episode of John Wilson will go into what happened on this episode of John Wilson. Historically, it has not been a Ser- uh, like a serialized continuing adventures but this will also be the series finale of John Wilson this also is a good time to remind people that Nathan Fielder is the executive producer yep. of the show and clearly they have some things in common yeah it was it was pretty exciting it was pretty exciting <laughs> it, it, but don't you think yeah. but like, I just like when we get to the end of pods and you're like that was pretty I liked good it. Yeah. this is our show The Watchables <laughs> yeah. you guys should check this out it's pretty neat yeah, we spent too much time well, if I spaghetti carbonara stuff with Adam Driver and now here. If I may. Huh? Um, there is a common thread here about who is in charge and who's telling the stories. And that one of the consistently most um, compelling or surprising or rewarding uh, veins to, to, to tap in making these shows is that reassertion of power, mm-hmm. grabbing the reins. Whose story is this? As you said, who is it for, and who 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 am I answering to? And it's funny, just like how calm we get once we realize who's driving the bus. As long as they drive it on a familiar route for like two episodes, we're like, oh, I get it now. I get that John Wilson is narrating some weird stuff, and it's New York, and how lucky he was to get all this stuff, and it all works out, and it's amusing for a half hour. But this guy is living inside of the machine. <laughs> he's playing a character that's himself yes. based on things he's really done, and he's chafing against it yeah and um you know again this is not a highly rated show but um and it's probably not for everyone but i find that really interesting i find that really interesting even in this moment of like industry unrest where there's a movement you know a conversation among showrunners or people being like oh everything would just be easier if we went back to procedurals like we'd be getting paid more and everyone would be happy but then there are people who got a tv to be like no i want to do different shit. I want to tell you my story. Yeah, right. And I don't want that. And I understand that it's a riskier life, but making art is always a little bit of a riskier life. Like this isn't supposed to be driving a bus route um, to kind of reuse my same metaphor twice. So I think I said car before. So not a Ferrari, uh-huh. to be clear. You want to let me die on this island or should we, you want to should we start talking about Zelda? <laughs> so in Zelda, you can build vehicles now. Can you really? Using, yes, you can build anything. Why? Okay. So, you can play us. Can I turn off my mic? (laughs) At the beginning of the sequel, Link gets a new hand. Maybe we should do it. And it's a a dead god's hand. And it has abilities, including one where you can take things in the physical world and combine them. And you can take anything and build anything. And there's footage on the internet 
of anything, but of people building like the Batmobile from the Michael Keaton movies or a drone. In Zelda. Yes. You can build giant mech suits. You can, like, people have way too much time. I cannot do this. I can barely build a fucking can plane with a like fan on Can I build, like, the QRF squad from Lioness to come through? You're going to have to re-familiarize <laughs> me with that squad because I'm, you know, there are a lot of squads. Yeah. But, yeah, sure, right? You could build shit, man. I, that appeal. you're a creative thinker, not me. I like to push boundaries. <laughs> Thanks to Kaya McMullen for, for producing us today. We will be back on Tuesday, so one day late, next mm-hmm. week because of Labor Day. Um, mm-hmm. Andy, enjoy your weekend. <laughs> Did you have a sense of what it's going to be like now? Now that uh, you know. It sounds like a lot of fathering. Just building stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of paying it forward with what you've learned about the world of music. And that's what's, that's what's really cool. Anything that I've accrued to this point is just a gift to the future generations. <laughs> and it's just my responsibility. Much like the elders and reservation dogs. So just right. to, you know, just to share. That's right. Some know how to fish. Some know how to make connections between post-punk bands and Olivia uh, Rodrigo. Have a great weekend, everybody. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.